Well, amen, and we're excited about next Sunday, and uh, we're going to be working real hard this week and <clears throat> contacting uh, teens and students, and so I hope you can uh, uh, join us in the effort. We need, uh, we need you to bring your children, your grandchildren, your neighbor's children. You, you'll, you'll need to get permission, of course, but, but we want to, we want to, to fill all of our chairs next Sunday morning. Uh, trying to reach young people, uh, I want to talk about praying. I want us to cover uh, next weekend with prayer. So I want to speak to you on prayer this morning, and if you have your Bibles with you, uh, find Second Chronicles 18 and We'll start by reading one verse, verse 31. 2 Chronicles 18, verse 31. As soon as the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, they said, it's the king of Israel. So they turned to fight against him. And Jehoshaphat cried out, and the Lord helped him. God drew them away from him. Now, we'll, we'll let that be our main text, but I want to explain the background here. Jehoshaphat <clears throat> is a good king. Basically, he tries to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord. He's a blessed king. He's rich. He's a descendant of David and Solomon, so he has a pedigree that you'd want to put on the wall. He lived at a time about 800 years before Christ when Israel was divided into the northern tribes and the southern tribes. Actually, the southern tribes were only Judah and Benjamin, but, but there was a civil war that usually took place the 12 tribes of Israel had divided under Solomon and Rehoboam, his son. Now this can be confusing because the Old Testament, once you get out of first five books of the Bible, it will refer to Israel, but it's talking about the northern tribes. You can see the, the yellow part, the capital of these ten tribes in the north was Samaria, and in the south is Judah, and Benjamin is sort of swallowed up with the size of Judah, but the capital in Judah is Jerusalem. Though That's the southern tribe. Jehoshaphat is king in Judah. The king up in Israel is a wicked man named Ahab. Well, Ahab, you, you may have heard of Ahab. Uh, he is a worshiper of the god Baal, which was a wicked, degrading, and uh, child-sacrificing worship. 
in 19, chapter 19, verse 2, he is said to hate the Lord. He hates the Lord. In 1 Kings 16, 30, here's what it says about Ahab. He's the son of Omri, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all the kings before him. Oh, my goodness. That's the king up in Israel. And he's married to the wicked witch, Jezebel. You remember how Jezebel tried to kill Elijah? and She was so mean, even scared Elijah off. So that's the king in the north. Now, they want to go, Ahab wants him to go up and fight in Ramoth Gilead. Give me that next one. Now, Ramoth Gilead is not in Judah, not in Israel. It's across the mountains. And I'm not sure why he wants to go over there and fight, to be honest. I, I, I may have read it, I just don't know. But so he comes down. This is, go down to look at uh, 2 Chronicles 18, verse 1. Let's. Let's pick this up in the very first part of this chapter. Verse 1. Now Jehoshaphat had great riches and honor. And he made a marriage alliance with Ahab. That is, he, they would do this sometimes for political alliances is what it amounted to. And they did it for safety, security. So he married his son off to the daughter of Ahab. I used to tell my kids, please marry a good family because you're going to join me to them. And thankfully, they all did. Verse 2 says, After some years he went down to Ahab in Samaria, and Ahab killed an abundance of sheep and oxen for him and for the people with him and induced him to go up against Ramoth Gilead. Verse 3, this is 2 Chronicles 18, verse 3. And Ahab, king of Israel, said to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, Will you go with me to Ramoth Gilead? And he said, I am as you are, my people as your people. We will be with you in the war. So he agrees to join this wicked, Baal-worshipping Ahab, the king in Israel, and go off and fight some battle that he has nothing to do with. So he's about to get in trouble, isn't he? I mean, any, can you predict that? Um, I read about a, a guy some time ago who went to the doctor and he said, Doctor, I broke my arm in two places. What should I do? And the doctor said, Well, stay out of those places. <laughs> So this is what Jehoshaphat should have understood. Stay out of those places. Well, that's in verses 1 to 3. Now, 2 Chronicles 18, verse 4 to 27 is one of the most interesting stories, little snippets in the history of the Old Testament. We won't read it, but let me give it to you in a nutshell 
Jehoshaphat wants God's blessing. Uh, if we're going to go fight, he says, shouldn't we hear from God? Do you have, isn't there a man of God who can come and counsel us and tell, tell us whether it's God's will or not? And Ahab, the wicked king, says, oh yeah, I got 400 prophets of Baal. I can bring them all in. So he brings all these 400 prophets in and all these prophets of Baal said, you know what? God is with you. God will bless you. You will return in great fanfare and we will all celebrate your victory. Jehoshaphat listens to all these 400 false prophets and uh, is a little suspicious when, all, when you have 400 preachers that all agree on something. So, so he says, uh, well, isn't there someone from that you know is from God, not a prophet of Baal, but give me somebody from God. And Ahab says, yeah, I got one of those too. Micaiah. Now this is verses 4 to 27. I'm just summarizing it for you. But he says, but Micaiah always says bad things about me. And Jehoshaphat said, well, let me decide for myself. So he brings in Micaiah. Micaiah says, this is in verse 2 Chronicles 18, verse 16. He said, I see all Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep with no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master, so each return to his home. In other words, Micaiah the prophet from God said, here's what I see happening. The shepherd is smitten and the sheep are scattered. There's no master. In other words, the king will be killed. Therefore, let each man go back to his home. Or every man will end up going home. And he adds this, and further, all of these prof false prophets have a lying spirit in every one of them. They're deceiving you. And Ahab says to Jehoshaphat, I told you he has never positive things to say about me. Now you would think that at that point, Jehoshaphat says, well, we've heard from God, so let's just pack it in. I'll get my army and I'll go back home. But look at what happens in verse 28. Verse 27 ends the, the episode with Micaiah. Verse 28 says this. 2 Chronicles 18, 28. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead, completely ignoring the words of the prophet. They went anyway. So then you have verse 29, where Jehoshaphat agrees to the strangest thing. 
The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you wear your robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and they went into battle. What does he mean there? The king of Israel, Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, Look, I'll just wear typical soldier's garb. But you, you wear your kingly robes. Now, why would he do that? Well, because, verse 30, the king of Syria had commanded the captains of his chariots fight with neither small or great, but only with the king of Israel. They go after the king. They try, uh, as in the Revolutionary War, the epaulet men. These were the officers, men of rank, and they wore these epaulets on their shoulders, an ornamental fringe or a pad that was sewn uh, on the shoulders of uh, officers and men of rank. So in the Revolutionary War, they would get snipers and sharpshooters and they'd just shoot the, the officers. And that put the uh, army, the soldiers, into panic because they didn't know what to do. Or in World War II, snipers would shoot at the men that the others saluted because that way they recognized the officers. They'd try to pick off the officers. So here, the, the, the king and Ramoth Gilead, he says, don't fight with small or great. Go after the king. Now, Ahab knows this. So he says to Jehoshaphat, I'll dress like a regular soldier. You dress like the king. And Jehoshaphat says, okay. If you think that'll help us. <laughs> Have you ever done something really stupid? I mean, I hesitate to use the word stupid. But I think that describes sometimes the decisions that some of us have made on occasion. We're capable of stepping in the stupid. <laughs> so they go out into battle, and here's Jehoshaphat on his regal stallion with the plume of a king sticking up from his, his helmet and the robes identifying him as the obvious king. And it says, verse 31, As soon as the captains saw Jehoshaphat, they said, It's the king! So they turned to fight against him, and Jehoshaphat cried out, and the Lord helped him. He cried out, and the Lord helped him. The word cry out there means to cry out to God. It's used, uh, the idea is found in 2 Chronicles 13, 14, when it says Judah looked, they were surrounded behind and in front, and they cried out to the Lord. And it says that the children of Judah prevailed because they relied upon God. So to cry out to God means to look to God, to rely upon God, to turn to God. In the same way, Jehoshaphat cried out, looked 
to God, prayed to God. Because all of the arrows in this barrage was coming right at him. He was under this attack from the entire other army. He's about to get shot out of the saddle. And he cries out to God. And it says in verse 31, The Lord helped him and drew them away from him. What that means is that God probably made some kind of disturbance over on one side, making the army think they, there was a breakthrough over there. So they all left him and went over to strengthen the flank or something like that. But God helped him and drew them away from him in some manner. Now, here is my point to you today. Jehoshaphat was disobedient. He heard the word of God from Micaiah the prophet. He asked for the word, he got the word, and he walked right away from it. Jehoshaphat was not only disobedient, but little dense he was stupid you dress up with a big target on your back how's that duh yeah okay (laughs) and Jehoshaphat turned to God as a last resort and God Heard him. Disobedient, stupid, looking to God when there's nowhere else to turn. That seems like a recipe for God turning his back on you, not hearing a, a desperate prayer. But God heard him. We often say, Why would God listen to me? I got myself into this mess. If you're in a mess, you probably did get yourself into it. Some people listen to Satan as he whispers, you're just turning to God at the last minute. You haven't done anything to deserve this. You're trying to use God to get yourself out of a jam. Yes. Do you have a better alternative when you're in a jam than turning to God? I want to say that it's better to turn to God in the end and at the last than never turn to God at all. Hallelujah. I'm hitting the nail on the head right now with somebody because you've been disobedient. You've been stupid, pardon my French, and you, in the last moment, there's a gasp of chance left. You turn to God. God will hear you. (laughs) He heard Jehoshaphat. And let me give you a New Testament example. You probably are aware of this. But in Luke 23, verse 42, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, there's, a, there's two criminals, one on each side of him. And one of them, he's been a criminal all his life. 
And one of them says to the other one, or one of them says to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He's got a few minutes to live. Today, Jesus said, you will be with me in paradise. Hallelujah. Last minute. Last ditch effort. Make it prayer. So here are my three points today on prayer. Number one, prayer changes circumstances. Because it moves God to change circumstances. Prayer changes things because God changes things. Pray. Don't look at yourself. Don't evaluate your life. Just pray. Prayer is looking to God, not to ourselves or to others. And there are just some things that we need to pray. In the New Testament, we are taught to pray for daily bread, Matthew 6, 11. We are taught to pray for forgiveness of sins, Mark eleven twenty five. 25. We're to pray for the Holy Spirit, Luke eleven thirteen. 13. We're taught to pray for healing, James 5, 14. We're taught to pray for wisdom, James 1, 5. If anyone lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously. We're taught to pray for faith, Luke 17, 5. Lord, increase our faith. We're taught to pray for children. Do you want children? Luke 1, 13. Zechariah was an old man and he had a child anyway. John the Baptist was his son. He prayed. Paul said in Philippians 4, 6, pray about everything. And with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I want to give you a verse from Daniel chapter 10, verse 12. Do we have that? Daniel 10, verse 12. Listen at this verse. Now, Daniel is languishing in Babylonian exile. And he's, he prays to God for deliverance to go back to Israel. And when he, Daniel 10, 12 says, An angel came to him and said, Fear not, Daniel. From the first day you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before your God, your words have been heard. And I have come because of your words. It's the words. Pray the prayer. Write it down. Here's what I'm asking God for. The date that I asked it. Prayer changes circumstances. And I know some people teach that prayer basically is a, a subjective thing where prayer changes you. You know, if you pray, you adjust and make a, attitude adjustments in your life. And, and there's a lot of truth in that. But that's not basically what prayer is. Prayer is changing God's direction. Prayer is changing God's activity to intervene on your behalf. 
Prayer changes God. So, number one, prayer changes things. Number two, prayer is for people like Jehoshaphat who are not that smart. I always think of, uh, whenever I think I'm smart, I always remember that time that I, I got an email saying, Mr. Rednauer, um, please send us your password so we can check your computer for any viruses and include your mother's maiden name just so we can confirm security. I said, okay. And they went in and they stole, hacked, whatever you call, and, and uh, changed my password and I couldn't get in. I remember being so surprised. And, they, and I told people, somebody hacked me. I don't know how they did it. Well, did you give them your, your password? Yeah, they asked for it. <laughs> Prayer means it's for people like Jehoshaphat. You're not that, you're gullible. You're not that holy. You've walked out against known light. And you're not problem free. You're somewhat desperate. Prayer is for people whose problems are bigger than they are. Prayer is for people whose troubles are greater than man's ability to resolve them. Prayer is for people who have been used by others. Remember how Ahab said, Hey, you you dress up like a king. Let's put you out front and paint a target on you. Prayer is for people who have been used, even abused, Prayer is for people who are surrounded where there's no way out and whose only hope is a divine intervention. That's why we pray. And you will find as as you live your life that there's a whole lot of times when those circumstances are true about us. And then finally, prayer means you see clearly what you need more than anything which is not Ahab's alliances, not powerful people, not a sharper arrow for your bow or a lot of money or soldiers, but you need God to do what only God can do. So I am issuing today a call to prayer. particularly in the light of next Sunday. Teenagers need the church to pray for them. Students need the church. Their biggest decisions will be made. They're on the cusp of making life-changing decisions. We need God to step into the lives of our children and our young people. So Thursday night, Friday night, and Saturday night at 7 p.m., Thursday night at 7, I will be at Bristol Road at the altar. Anyone who would like to join me, I invite you to come. Friday night and Saturday night, I will be at this altar. And I'm inviting anyone to join me. I know there's a small group that night. I know that the Youth Evangelism Conference is Friday night. 
but not everyone will go. And if you're not going to go, you're welcome to join me. I'll be here. 7 p.m., Bristol Road, Friday night and Saturday night, 7 p.m., here at the Fieldhouse. And we will pray for the speakers next Sunday. We will pray specifically for Bud and Matt as they come to speak to us. We will pray. We're going to send out letters. We will pray over those letters and invitations. We will pray for those who attend that things will not hinder them. We will pray for, for each person next Sunday. We will pray for conversions and baptisms. We will pray for an atmosphere of faith next Sunday. We will pray for the parents. We will pray for the leaders of our youth. We will pray for God to be present and Christ to be glorified in the services next Sunday. Thursday night, Bristol Road, 7 p.m. Friday night, the Fieldhouse, 7 p.m. Saturday night, the Fieldhouse, 7 p.m. I want to give you this verse as I close. Hebrews eleven six. Look at look at this great verse. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Whoever would draw near must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. He rewards. Amen. That's what we want. We want a reward. And we want it to be visible next Sunday and this weekend. And if you have questions, we have uh, little half sheets, half bulletins out there with the schedule on it. We, you, we can get, give you one of those on your way out today. Uh, if you have questions uh, on that little sheet, there will be phone numbers you can call. Um, or you can just contact me directly off uh, my cell phone's fine with me, but uh, be praying. Hope you can join me for prayer. Think of children, grandchildren, teenagers, students, college students, and let's just have a God-glorifying, church-edifying time next weekend. Amen? Let's pray together. And ushers, if you'll come... And we will, we will worship with our tithes and offerings this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you're so faithful and so gracious and so merciful. I pray uh, that we as a church would be mindful of how desperately we need you. Help us. Lead us and guide us and bless us in this effort. And that is our prayer today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. From my mother's womb, you have chosen me. Love has called. My name I've been born again into your family your blood flows through me
my veins I'm no longer a slave to fear I am a child of God I'm no longer a slave to fear I am a child of God Let's sing that together I'm no longer a slave to fear I am a child of God I'm no longer a slave to fear I am a child of God Lord, thank you for making us your child for adopting us to be your own, Lord. In Jesus' name, we love you. Amen. Y'all are dismissed. Y'all have a wonderful afternoon.